0: This is the Bartender Journey Podcast.
1: Welcome to the Bartender Journey Podcast number 167. My name's Brian Vincent Weber. Thanks so much for listening. Cachaça. First of all, what is it? It's a distilled spirit produced in Brazil, made from sugarcane juice. Sounds a bit like rum, right? The majority of rums are made from molasses, but there are rums made from sugarcane juice. So, what's the difference?
0: Yeah, there are many. Actually, um, I think that the first, the first and most important is the source of the sugarcane. There is a terroir uh, story here.
1: That's Dragos Oxante from Novo Fogo Cachaça, and uh, the terroir, the sense of place, very important there. It's made in the in the jungle, in the in the rainforest. So, uh, and very, and they have a very strong commitment to uh, to sustainability. There's a lot of issues with uh, certain types of wood that are endangered, and uh, maybe we'll get into that later. So Novo Fogo Cachaca sponsored our USBG meeting yesterday, and it was great. We got to taste seven different cachacas paired with seven different little bites of food, and it was fabulous. And uh, Dragos put on a great pre- presentation, and later on he even patched in the um, master distiller from the distillery in, in Brazil. That was really cool. We had a live chat with him, and, they, and he showed us around uh, virtually. That was great. I'll post some pictures up on bartenderjourney.net so you can see. We'll talk to Dragos one-on-one in just a minute, but first let's do a book of the week. This week it'll be Food & Wine's Cocktail Book, 2016 edition. Every year this book comes out, and uh, it's totally redone every year. It's not just uh, revamping the old stuff, new recipes each time, and actually I have them going back all the way to 2006, so that's pretty cool. Uh, so there's uh, great, great stuff in here. There's a tiki section, low ABV section, so is it, yeah, I recommend you get this book. There's even some food recipes in the back, so uh, check it out. I'll have a link to it up on bartenderjourney.net along with the posting that goes with this show, number 167. Click through uh, bartenderjourney.net to go to Amazon and you'll be helping out the show just a little bit. And you don't have to necessarily buy the book or the product that I recommended there. Anytime you click through an Amazon link on bartenderjourney.net to go through to Amazon, whatever you purchase in that session, shall we call it, uh, helps out the show just a little bit. I'd appreciate it. So, as I said, we'll talk to Dragos in just a minute, but. Uh, you know, I, I go to a lot of these events and seminars and stuff, and I like to share some things that I've learned uh, with you. I, I have uh, n- notebooks that I keep with me, these uh, little moleskin notebooks, and they're, they're, I have three or four of them filled up with uh, with knowledge, so uh, why not share it? <laughs> uh, this was from the Bar Institute event in um, Baltimore, and the class was called Getting Paid for What's in Your Brain. And that's, uh, you know, there's so many different ways to, uh, to make some money once you're an experienced bartender, uh, for instance, consulting and running uh, events. So uh, here's, a, here's a list of questions you would ask uh, once you were hired for, or even, maybe even before. Uh, but uh, important knowledge to know if you're throwing an event. Who's attending? Are there VIPs? Is there a theme to the party? How many guests are coming? That's an obvious one, but important. Do we need to do a tasting with the staff or or the clients ahead of time to uh to sort out the drinks that we're making? Interface with the venue very important. What service are you providing? What do you need to bring with you? What's already going to be at the venue? Do you have to go uh and hire people or is the staff going to be provided for you? And I like this one. If you're if you're creating specialty cocktails for the event, get paid per cocktail for designing special cocktails so uh that's common practice and uh we should perpetuate that so the list goes on a little bit uh who is providing what so i kind of touched on that already but uh yeah what what are we providing and what is the venue providing and what is the client providing uh how about glass how about ice how about fruit how about all of those things that you need to run a bar are there going to be custom ingredients Who's going uh, to get them? Who's going to purchase those? Who's going to bring them? Uh, there may be legal issues that you need to discuss, um, one of which is <laughs> if the uh, venue is providing the alcohol, not you, uh, you have a lot less liability there. And uh, you may need uh, special licenses in, in order to provide alcohol to, a, to an event. I don't know too much about that subject, but uh, it's important to have some <laughs> and uh, find out about it. Um, so the glassware, who's providing that? Where's it coming? from, who's going to pick it up uh, at the end, how's it going to get washed. Ice, very important. You always need more ice than you think you need. Um, what about, uh, well, bring an ice bucket and a scoop, uh, possibly. Or definitely bring a scoop. Um, or, you know, what is the ice going, what type of vessel is the ice going to be in for service? Um, what about the trash and the staff uh, tools? Make them bring them. <laughs> bring their own tools. Uh, what are they going to bring or what are they not going to bring? A wine key comes to mind Uh, i was doing an event the other day and i was trying to move in the middle of the event from one bar to another bar that wasn't open yet they're doing wine service during dinner at the event and uh all these servers had no wine keys and every so every uh two minutes while i'm trying to set up this bar that needs to open in five minutes somebody would come over and um ask for a bottle of wine and they didn't have openers and they didn't you know i I suppose I could have let mine out, but I never would have saw it again for one thing. And for another thing, uh, I don't think these quite young servers would even know how to do that. So um, it was a problem. When opening bottles and putting your pour spouts on, keep the caps. Save the caps and tell the staff to do that. Uh, what about barbacks? Are we going to have them? Do we need them? We probably do need them. I needed one the other day, and I didn't have any. Plan to overstaff. Get more people there than you think you need, just like the ice. Uh, Make a timeline for arrival, departure for staff and guests and have a plan in mind uh, in case they want to go into overtime, establish what that's going to cost ahead of time and make sure that you're going to have staff that will be willing to stay. What time is the last call? Also, establish if uh, the bars need to close at any point during the evening. I'll tell you uh, what happens a lot at, for instance, a wedding or, or some kind of presentation where uh, there'll be a cocktail hour, and then they need everybody to sit down in their seats and get ready for the presentation or the you know the bride and groom to walk in or whatever. And um, the bars often times will close for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, uh, and convert to service bar. So that's something uh, to keep in mind too. Uh, that, that goes along with timeline. Does the host or any guests have specific needs? What uh, what do we, you know, we want to take care of our hosts because they're uh, our client, right? Maybe there's guests with uh, with special needs as well. What's the uniform? And make sure your staff gets all on the same page as far as what they're going to wear. Get a deposit. Get some money before you show up and do all the work. <laughs> Think about what you can charge for. Be creative and flexible uh, as far as add-on items and uh, offering additional services. What about prep time? How much time? Uh, how how early can you get into the venue? And are you going to charge for that? How are you going to charge for that? Shall we say? Uh, how about travel? Uh, you know, if you have a long way to go and your staff has a long way to go, you may have to charge your client for travel. Don't forget to charge your client for all those ingredients that you bring. Uh, anything you purchase, you are charging your client for that and you are marking it up and follow up with your client how would you like it were you happy can i have a testimonial that i can use on my website Uh, maybe even a survey possibly back to insurance in a private home have them buy the spirits to limit your liability and don't be afraid to say no to uh, any requests and of course uh, we should think about um, don't be afraid to cut people off if necessary in fact uh, sometimes I feel like when going into a bartending situation in a private home it's like you know do they want a bartender uh, there specifically to keep an eye on how much people are drinking and um, to avoid the the uh, issue of the host having to uh, to take care of that there here's somebody nobody knows maybe from the party uh, the bartender who will will do the unpleasant task of cutting somebody off I would uh, interface with the host um, beforehand um, but that's something uh, to consider when you're when you're doing parties at, at people's homes or anywhere really so all that info was from uh again the bar institute event in baltimore the class was called getting paid for what's in your brain and uh it was put on by eric fui and brendan door and they have a, co- a consulting company called cocktail proof and they were awesome guys and i've been meaning to try to get in touch with them to see if they'd be guests on the show because they were awesome they're they out of baltimore actually local to baltimore so uh I, I need to work on that i need an assistant i'm busy In fact, if there's anybody out there who uh, wants to get involved with the show, uh, you know, there wouldn't be any pay. God knows I don't get paid for doing this. (laughs) But uh, but yeah, get in touch, you know. Um, You can email me at brian at bartenderjourney.net and uh, we can talk about, you know, getting you involved. And um, for, you know, I can use help, like I was saying, uh, booking guests and uh, various other tasks, writing show notes and all that stuff. So uh, yeah, if you want to get involved, uh, please email me. I'd really love to hear from you. All right, back to cachaça. Let's talk to Dragos Axante from Novo Fogo Cachaça.
0: My name is Dragos. I'm the CEO of Novo Fogo Cachaça. And uh, I live in Seattle, but our distillery is in the state of Paraná, in Brazil. Um, I'm, I'm proud now to be a farmer as well and by uh, ownership of the distillery. And I'm here because I think there is a lot to be taught about Kachassa. I think New York has a lot of knowledge, more so than perhaps other other cities, but there's still so much which just barely scraped the,
1: the surface. You brought up so many interesting points today, uh, one that sticks out in my mind right from the beginning, yeah. where you said that, you know, it used to be that people would start with vodka, go to gin. <laughs> yeah and then it worked their way up to bourbon, <laughs> and then eventually scotch. Yeah. And that was kind of the end of the road. But now yeah. people are open to whatever, whatever's cool at the moment.
0: Yeah, that's right. I, I remember being um, in a retail store in Nashville one time doing a tasting, and the uh, store owner had sent out a newsletter saying, Brazilian uh, cocktails today at the store and people were coming, literally everybody was coming and everybody was trying and everybody was buying a bottle of cachaça and this one young man said to me, this is the first cocktail I've ever had, this is amazing and I'm going to be drinking it all summer long.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: it's, the, it's the power of a good first impression, really.
1: Well, the Caparinga is the most amazing cocktail
0: it's hard, yeah. to be, it's hard to beat on a good summer day it's, if it's well made. Yep.
1: It, it's a beautiful cocktail. And, uh, well, w- w- what can you tell us about it? Well,
0: Caipirinha is actually a very uh, interesting cocktail in that it has no known author. It's been around probably for hundreds of years. We just don't know. It's the people of Brazil who created it. And it was most likely invented by the folks known as Caipiras from the central of Brazil, the state of Gr- Mato Grosso, uh, and, and around there. And... Uh, most likely people, people of the land who were trying to cool off on a, on a hot day uh, and uh, they took a little sugar juice and, and the other things that were laying around them and, and mixed them with ice and, and got a delicious drink and it's called the caipirinha after them they're caipiras um, and uh, uh, basically this is their uh, name this is the name of their language and this is the name of the drink it became a caipirinha eventually because it, uh, caipirinha means small caipira And this drink is supposed to be small. See, when you're drinking it in the hot summer days of Brazil, and you've already shaken that ice, although that's a disputed uh, uh, process as well, the drink is pretty much ready to be drunk in a few minutes or else you'll be too diluted before you're done. So the smaller, the better, because you're going to drink it before it doesn't taste good anymore. Because it's so hot there. That's right. It's, <laughs> it's very hot. So uh, a caipirinha is the, is the nickname. But honestly, if you are in Brazil and you're ordering a drink at the, at the restaurant, for the sake of speed, you may say, I like a caipira. And it's oh, fully okay. understood.
1: Oh, okay. Right. I mean, if we think about it, it's, it's quite similar to the classic daiquiri, right? Yeah, that's right. It's a
0: sour, like the margarita or the daiquiri or the and many others. It's in the same family, and that's why it's delicious because it's a well proven uh, classic model, but at the same time, it has the, clearly the funk and the tropicality of South America.
1: Cachaca does have that sort of uh, funk to it, and it, that's a funny word because no one quite knows what it means, but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> funk or. Yeah,
0: no, I think it's true. People like funk, but they don't necessarily, uh, they can't really describe it. And I would say that, you know, typically, you, you know cachaça to be a tropical spirit uh, coming from a land of tropical fruit it's supposed to be a little sweet and then you have rum coming from a maritime environment with a lot of brine into the sugar cane so that's kind of the spectrum of spirits distilled from freshly pressed sugarcane juices right and then we have a, a cachaça company like No Fogo which is in the rainforest among fruit plantations and at the same time on the coast. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. We have that sweetness of the, of the rainforest fruit, and then we have the savoriness and the saltiness of the, of the sea.
1: Some rums will be made, uh, many rums are made with um, molasses, right. molasses right. but some will be made with sugarcane juice. Yeah, so so, so what's, what's the difference between cachaça and a rum made with sugarcane juice?
0: Yeah, there are many, actually. Um, I think that the first, the first and most important is the source of the sugarcane. There is a terroir. Uh, story here, and uh, that is probably the biggest difference maker as well. The other thing is that there are some technical differences in the way that the fermentation and distillation are made. the fermentation process, certain things are allowed to develop in rum versus rum agricole versus cachaça, or be allowed in at the end of the fermentation process in the wine. And then the distillation, actually, I I think there are many differences there in in terms of the proof of distillation, which tends to be really high for rum agricole and really low for cachaça, and rum is really all over the place. Um, And then there are commonalities among... Uh, the bottling proof, but also a legality, a legal con- uh, requirement by the Brazilian, t- Brazilian government that cachaça must be bottled between 38% and 48%. And it tends to be low. It tends to be low. 38% cachaça is pretty common, 39%, 40%. It's kind of rare, actually, to see something uh, above 42 or 43%. You have to go up north to the state of Minas Gerais, where it's been made for a long time, and the palate has developed differently. But other than that, rubber agriculture tends to be really hot, Koshasa tends to be really low, and rum is everything in between.
1: The yeast actually plays a big role, doesn't it? And you mentioned that you use w- wild yeast.
0: Right. Yeah, for sure. Well, the yeast is uh, one of the biggest components of terroir, and it's very easy to get carried away and just buy a bag of yeast from some chemical company in Georgia, right, and, and, and make your spirit with it. But if you're trying to represent the place that you're coming from, it's very easy to cultivate yeast from from the wild actually there are a
1: lot of it's r- everywhere
0: right <laughs> that's right it's, it's a, on it's us right now <laughs> yeah here, here in harlem there's yeast that. <laughs> that's right and sugarcane as an organic compound with sugar in it in, and in, in live organisms is um definitely a source for it and we think what better way to create yeast than from our own sugarcane, which is not only the same terroir but now we also know it's organic
1: too the, the organic, uh, you're, you're very sustainable with your with your company, and you. Yeah. That was so interesting to hear that you you know the heads and tails goes to run the tractors. That's so cool. That's right. No, our distillery is a zero waste distillery, and it's really by responsibility
0: and desire to be good citizens than uh, any kind of marketing benefits because we are in this place where. Um, next to the building, we grow our sugarcane, and next to sugarcane, and by next, I mean literally 10 feet away, is the jungle. So, how could you do things the wrong way? You got to protect the jungle, because that jungle is cleaning the air. It's giving us the flavors that we're smelling, it's giving us the flavors that end up in the sugarcane, it's giving us the flavors that end up in the bottle. So, if we start demolishing that environment, then we're going to suffer as well. So, it's a really great balance that must be maintained, and this is why I was talking about supporting our community there. Causing and support the environment eventually leads to positive results for everyone involved.
1: And as I understand it, I mean those jungles down there don't just support the environment nearby, it supports the whole world, yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. Actually, the the greener the uh, Brazilian rainforest, the cleaner the air in New York. And and it's it's probably going to be like that. There is nothing that creates more pollution than deforestation in this world. You take the pollution created by all of the world's vehicles, and I mean cars and ships and trains and planes, and you add them up, and it's still less than... The carbon dioxide produced by cutting trees down. Oh,
1: so there, there's a problem with cutting them down, but also the, they they clean the air as well. Yeah, that, that's it. That's actually the same cycle.
0: So basically, trees absorb carbon dioxide and put out oxygen. Right. And um, when they are cut, they release that carbon dioxide that they were <laughs> storing. So actually, cutting trees down creates pollution.
1: I didn't know that part. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Wow. It has to
0: go somewhere, Definitely. right? So they do they do good things when they're alive and bad things when they're dead. Double doubly important to take care of them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, please explain the uh, Caporinga recipe for anybody who doesn't know. Yeah, you bet. Um,
0: it's uh, it's very simple. It's a three-part drink uh, like uh, the best cocktails are. It's a full uh, full dose of cachaça, typically silver cachaça, but I really enjoy it with age as well. A couple ounces of cachaça. And then a lime that you'll probably cut the ends off to remove the pith and the bitter parts and maybe slice it or at least put some kind of accordion cut into it. And you put that in a glass with a heaping tablespoon of Sugar, which sounds like a lot when you see it, but it's only about 50 calories, and if you use good sugar, then it should be all right. And then you muddle the lime and uh, and the sugar together. until you basically get a, a lime syrup you know it's good the sugar is dissolved and it's a it's a goopy mess in the glass mm-hmm. add the cachaca and the ice i would add the ice first so you don't splash the cachaca around and then uh, put that in a shaker or put the shaker top or right over the glass give it a good shake and pour it in a new glass or pour it in the same glass but definitely use the spent lime and the sugar as it is and the spent ice too which is why i was saying it shouldn't take too long to drink it i call it the five minute drink or ten minute drink it should smell fresh enough it should be inviting enough it should look beautiful Beautiful enough to encourage you to drink it fairly fast and I'm not saying drink a lot fast but I'm saying it should make you feel that way this drink is a um, little a little understood I think a lot of artists uh, can make a good caipirinha but not in the traditional sense of the purpose that it serves in and, and how that drives the technique so we shot a whole video series on what we call the soul of the caipirinha multiple episodes about its tradition its culture its heritage and also the very components of the technique on how to cut limes how to pick limes how to cut limes what kind of sugar how to model shaking versus stirring which is a big debate in brazil and um and and so on and even a blooper reel too Oh. so that's on our YouTube channel
1: oh I can't wait to see that yeah please do please right. do and, and um, we'll share it with the, uh, the s- subscribers sounds <laughs> good great. yeah
0: it's, it's, it's great. great
1: so yeah I was talking to somebody after after your presentation and we were yeah. saying like uh, oh, yeah. the gentleman I was speaking to said I've, I've only had a silver cachaça before I've never had an aged cachaça and, and you have so many expressions yeah it's, it's really uh, really impressive aged cachaça
0: is the cachaça of Brazil it's really uh, probably 90% of cachaça sold in Brazil is aged and that is the tradition and the history there
1: and, and is that drinking neat or on the rocks? Or? In Brazil,
0: I would say most of it is probably drank neat or on the rocks, yeah. And, and um, cocktails? Ever uh, cocktails are um, starting to sprout in Brazil, uh, driven by a lot of the progress here in North America, for sure. But um, and, and then it will be cocktails made with all cachaças now. But I would say the traditional way to drink it is, is neat, and typically you put the silver in the caipirinha. It's just that cachaça is so new in the United States. It's literally... 11 years old, yeah. and the first uh, entrance into the market were silver cachaças, kind of uh, trying to build up the caipirinha movement, and as a result we still have a lot of education made to do.
1: And, and it, that's a great way to do it. you know, Start with this great cocktail, yeah. and then you introduce people to yeah, the other no, ones. I
0: think it's a natural progression. It's it's a 500-year-old cacha- uh, category in Brazil, but it's only a little over a decade here, and um, I appreciate the, how hard it was actually to start that category in in the early 2000s because nobody knew what cachaça was then
1: yeah Yeah. or even know how to pronounce it
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's right most people still don't
1: (laughs) (laughs) well uh, I really enjoyed the forgive me I forget the name the the one that started with the T the O tanager yeah so
0: that's the name of a little bird that um, lives in our in our rainforest town the seven colored tanager and um, the tanager spirit is a two wood cachaça that is aged for about a year in American repurposed American oak barrels, which is our tradition, and, uh, and then finished in, uh, uh, finished in zebra wood barrels for about three months or so, uh, untoasted zebra wood barrels. This is a native Brazilian wood. It's uh, actually protected, so uh, we get our wood from... A, an abandoned house on the property of one of our partners and don't have very much of it. But it's enough to make a few barrels and we can, we can, we can show another traditional Brazilian wood without really getting into the uh, issues of uh, deforestation that have plagued Brazil for so long. So the tradition is oak but we're putting a little spin on it with, with another little thing as well.
1: Uh, that was a cool story that uh, you're not allowed to cut these zebra no. trees anymore, but no. you, you found an old abandoned house that was made out of this stuff, so you were able yeah. to actually do it.
0: That's right. No, you're not allowed to cut pretty much any Brazilian native tree because there's been so much deforestation, tree illegal harvesting, and just population growth on the coast and in the rainforest, and uh, they're all level uh, p- protected at some level at this point. So... If the law doesn't prevent you, uh, public opinion will probably disagree with you. So, <clears throat> it's it's important that as uh, here in the North American market that we send the right incentives to the Brazilian distillers to utilize woods that are not on the on the risk list, and uh, or or if or if they are, which is fine. Uh, um, you know, there are ways to source wood legally, and we have to ask those questions about where the wood comes from, especially if it's a Brazilian wood.
1: Yeah. But interesting with your bourbon barrels. I mean, uh, you always hear about bourbon barrels being used to make scotch or whatever. Yeah. Or whatever but you're actually removing the scotch. Uh, you're, you're, sanding, you're sanding away. You're sanding away the, uh, the the kind of remnants of the bourbon, right?
0: Yeah, that's right. The um, okay is a tradition all over the world for known reasons. It's delicious wood. (laughs) It works well with spirits, and it's uh, relatively available and affordable. But um, still, there is bourbon in that, and there is a char. And if we put our cachaça in it, we'd end up with bourbon. So as a result, what we do is we make it our own. We make it Brazilian. We remove the rings off off the barrels, sand the inside of the staves to expose fresh wood to basically remove char and bourbon. Show the, the American oak as if it were new, put the barrel back together, and retoast it to a light to medium brown that allows us to get just the right amount of oakiness out of that barrel to match our Brazilian identity. And the combination, I think, is magical.
1: Yeah, it is great. And But just to clarify what you just said, you're actually toasting it quite a bit less than it would we have been done. Less, yeah.
0: yeah, if we toasted it heavily, we w- it wouldn't be the right decision. Um, we'd get too much color, perhaps not a flavor to match. That would happen if, if it was a new barrel as well. And it, it, all of this is really dependent on the environment, for sure. We're in a particular place in the rainforest where it's hot and humid. We have a particular palette. We know what our traditions around our town are, and it's very important that we are a Mojetes cachaça, not an invented cachaça. and you know, we, we have that we have that uh, identity of the place so uh, it's what works for us Delicious stuff. Thank you so
1: much for putting this on Thank you so much for talking to me I really appreciate it
0: Thank you I appreciate your time
1: Cheers. Great thanks for the interest. That was a great day a lot of fun. Great conversation, tasted lots of great cachaça. Novo Fogo is an interesting uh, company, the cachaça brand. Uh, They are a zero-waste facility, and uh, you heard us talk a little bit in the interview there about how the heads and tails are used to run the tractors. I thought that was so interesting. As you probably know, in the distillation process, the first thing that comes off the still is usually discarded or uh, reused, Uh, and and then then comes the heart, which is what actually goes into the bottle or into the barrels in in an aged product. And uh, at the end, the tails, similar to the heads, is usually discarded or recycled, repurposed. But uh, they're taking the heads and tails and running their tractors with it. I thought that was so cool. It's all certified organic, and uh, they do a lot of great things uh, for uh, in the sustainability side of things. They're also very interested in bartender health, and uh, here's a statement from them. No- Novo Fogo aims to offer a glimpse into traditional Brazilian life. That's the life of working hard and playing hard. It's the life of choosing quality over quantity, and a life where family, friends, and health are important. Getting involved in outdoor activities and sports are also favorite Brazilian pastime. Novo Fogo sponsors bartender softball leagues, running clubs, and more. We've hosted dozens of friendly soccer games, and in previous years, at Tales of the Cocktail, we've hosted 5K races. This year, we're kicking up things a notch, and we'll be sponsoring not just daily 5K runs through the French Quarter. We'll also be offering Tales attendees free morning workouts that are a combination of kickboxing and core fitness, yoga, and Pilates. We have a balanced bartender video series on YouTube that highlights many Novo Fogo supporters that are also leaders in the cocktail industry industry. These bartenders make time at night to sling excellent drinks, but also find time to honor their health and carve out space in their day to enjoy yoga, mountain climbing, weightlifting, running, and more. I think that's awesome. And the, the videos that they produce are really great. There's one uh, that they showed us th- during the meeting uh, involving ping pong and a pretty girl and Kishasa and uh, caparingas. So uh, the, I'll put a link to that or I'll have it uh, posted right up on bar- bartenderjourney.net along with some other cocktail uh, making videos and uh, another one about their uh, organic and sustainability, uh, initiative. So, uh, go get on over to bartenderdirty.net and look for the posting that goes with this show, number 167. So the Cabaringo will be our cartel of the week. And, uh... As we heard in the interview, you want to take limes and uh, cut off the top and the bottom to get rid of as much pith as possible. You cut them into wedges and then cut those in half, uh, so small pieces there. And uh, put those in your either your mixing glass or right in the glass that you're going to serve it in. And add some sugar and muddle that muddle that up good, and then add your cachaça and some ice, and uh, give that. you can give that a short shake if you like or uh, how, however you want to do it. Uh, but the, uh, the point is to put all that, including the ice that you shook it with, back in the glass, and there's your caperinga. And I'll have links up to other cachaça cocktails up on bartenderjourney.net. All right, stand by for our toast coming up. We do a toast every week at the very end of the show. Uh, But first, I'll remind you, my name is Brian Vincent Weber. Thanks for listening, and please feel free to get in touch. You can email me at brian at bartenderjourney.net or get on over to the website bartenderjourney.net and use the contact page. Tales of the cocktail is coming up soon rapidly as i record this here in uh early to mid-june and uh, i hope you've made plans to go and uh you'll have an amazing time and let me know if you're going we'll meet up for a cocktail you can find the bartender journey facebook page uh, just by searching facebook for bartender journey and you can find me on twitter at bar Keep tips i'm on instagram too as bartender journey If you can make it over to iTunes and search for Bartender Journey, leave ratings and reviews for Bartender Journey. I'd appreciate it. Be like Bruce H.H. and leave five stars and say something nice. Thanks, Bruce H.H. All right, here's our toast. Here's to our wives and girlfriends. Let's pray that they never meet. Cheers. We'll see you next time on Bartender Journey. 500,000 new jobs are predicted as the result of repeal.